0: Megan, we've been friends a long time, right?
1: Over 30 years, Chris.
0: Basically, basically nothing you wouldn't do for me.
1: With the normal and usual caveats, you know, yes, that's absolutely true.
0: I appreciate you. I could really use a $267,000 loan that you could just forgive, buddy.
1: What you're referring to, obviously, is Justice Clarence Thomas, who it was reported received more than a quarter of a million dollars in a loan that he was supposed to make repayments on, didn't really kind of made repayments, and then the whole thing was forgiven. That doesn't really actually sound like a loan, actually, to me.
0: Look, you can call it whatever you want to. I would just be thrilled to see 267 large end up in my account from you tomorrow. (laughs)
1: You keep waiting for that.
0: I'll keep waiting, but there was that. Quick reminder to the audience that not only is Tegan not going to send you $267,000, but if you would like to send us questions for the mailbag, please do. We have a couple of mailbag episodes coming up in the next weeks, so we would love to have your questions. We did get a few off of last week's commentary, which we will address over the next week or two. But today, you may have noticed we're coming to you a day early. That's because there really wasn't that much to talk about, and so we really didn't feel a need to do an emergency podcast, except, wait a minute, we have a Speaker of the House, Tegan. It only took 22 days, Chris. Mike Johnson, didn't you have him on your early list as the the favorite, Mike Johnson of Louisiana?
1: I will tell you, Chris, earlier this week, I had a uh, post that was the Speaker candidates to watch. Mike Johnson was one of the four.
0: Okay, there you go. Funniest line that I saw so far, which you had in Political Wire Mike Johnson is Jim Jordan in a sports coat.
1: <laughs> it's funny how Democrats are immediately trying to tie him to Jim Jordan. I have a feeling Jim Jordan's not going to want to get tied to Mike Johnson uh, after a while because the opposition research is flowing now in the just hours after Mike Johnson became Speaker and took the gavel.
0: There was a tweet last night, and I don't know how many of these are exactly true, listed. An architect of the scheme to overturn the 2020 election, true? True. Wants to ban abortion? Maybe not true, ban, or six weeks?
1: Ban, No exceptions.
0: Wants to take away gay marriage, or is he on the record on that? Is that true, or is that just-
1: He not only wants to take away gay marriage, he wants to criminalize gay sex.
0: And is that even today, or that's stuff that he wrote previously and just hasn't gotten around to denouncing? Or backtracking from.
1: It's hard to say what he believes today, because when he was asked by reporters about several things, he responded, we're not talking about issues today.
0: His colleagues were booing the reporter, and one of them, I forget her name, Virginia something, isn't that her name? Was saying, boo, boo. Do you see that clip? That was an amazing clip, yeah. That was an amazing clip. Uh, She sounded like, do you know what it reminded me of? Princess Bride. With those people yelling, boo, boo. That's what she sounded like. That was crazy. That clip was crazy. Getting back to Mike Johnson, did he vote against the Violence Against Women Act?
1: I cannot confirm or
0: deny that. Don't know if that's true. Anyhow, a bunch of other stuff. So maybe he's better dressed than Jim Jordan, low bar, obviously. Is he more conservative than Jim Jordan?
1: Well, let's just put it this way. Dan Pfeiffer, who was Barack Obama's communications director in the White House, he wrote a very interesting piece for his newsletter that said, I follow politics for a living. And I had to Google Johnson to remember exactly who he is and where he was from. He really summarized Mike Johnson in one line. Here's who he is. Paul Ryan's economic policies, plus Mike Pence's views on abortion, plus Donald Trump's dangerously wacky views on the 2020 election. That's Mike Johnson. And then he adds, in other words, if Democrats could design in a lab the perfect candidate to run against, that person would look like Mike Johnson.
0: So how did he get not one Republican vote against him? And I mean that now seriously. So holding aside the fact that Democrats will characterize him how they will and run against him, et cetera, et cetera. After all of the people who have come down the pike, all the Republican potential speakers, how did he get through and get no Republican votes against?
1: Politics is remarkable. You know, after 22 days, Republican conference meetings, people coming nearly to blows, people yelling at each other, swearing at each other being in rooms too long together. Ultimately, I think there was a tremendous amount of fatigue They went through the candidates, you know, the candidates like Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan and Tom Emmer, known quantities, people that Americans have known for years, and each one of them could not cobble together the 217 votes that they would need on the House floor. And so what happens is after a very long and frustrating day yesterday, they came up with Mike Johnson and Mike Johnson in one of the early votes, he didn't muster more than 30 votes, you know, when he put his name in for speaker. All of a sudden, you know, the tides shift and Mike Johnson seems to be the guy that people think all of a sudden can get 217 votes. Part of the reason why is that he's fiercely conservative. He's got deep roots with the Christian right. He obviously, as we mentioned, he helped defend Donald Trump's attempt to overturn the election. He's a member of the House Freedom Caucus. In addition to that, he's not really a known quantity, or he wasn't at least until today. And so he hasn't done anything to really turn off his more moderate colleagues. In fact, many Democrats who've worked with him in Congress find him a collegial nice guy he hasn't been in Congress for more than seven years. He hasn't really had time to make a whole lot of enemies and Republican fatigue was just setting in. And so it's kind of like been this delicate balance who can navigate these forces. And Mike Johnson was the guy. And finally this morning, Republicans decided that this was their guy. They had to end this charade of 22 days without a speaker. There's many important things coming up that they need to vote on. And without a speaker, they can't bring those bills to the floor. And politics is amazing, Chris. That's how Mike Johnson became Speaker of the House.
0: What about another Mike, Mike Lawler and the other moderates like him? Sounds like Mike Johnson, nice guy. That's great. Not sure that if I'm a Mike Lawler, if I'm a moderate, if I'm running in a district that is a Biden district or potentially a Biden district. I'm not sure that I want Jim Jordan in a sports coat to be the one that I'm gonna get tied to. Politically, for a Mike Lawler or somebody like that, did the embarrassment, pain, and downside of having the non-speaker craziness continue, was that outweighed by getting someone in the seat? I mean, how does it affect people like Mike Lawler?
1: Whether it's Mike Lawler or Don Bacon from Nebraska, I think that's exactly what happened. I think they realized that this was going on too long, that this is absolutely toxic in their district. You know, as you know, they took a long weekend after they failed to come up with a speaker last week. I'm sure that they heard back in their districts, like, what are you knuckleheads doing? And they needed to end this in whatever way. And I think with Jim Jordan, when the vote came for Jim Jordan on the floor, they were not willing to vote for Jim Jordan. That was just a bridge too far. And even though Mike Johnson may actually be more conservative than Jim Jordan. If you take a look at his record, people don't know him. So he doesn't have that baggage that Jim Jordan has. And so they thought that they could probably sneak this through. I personally think this has great potential to backfire and it has potential to backfire for two reasons. If you go back to the 2022 midterms, okay, we were supposed to have this big red wave come and Kevin McCarthy was predicting Republicans were going to win 50, 60, even 70 seats. And as you know, it fizzled out. Republicans did snag the majority, but by only five seats, which is really why we ended up having the last 22 days the way that we did. It was a very, very slim majority and a divided Republican caucus. And what happened in those midterms was really two issues that they could not figure out how to navigate. One was this election denialism over the 2020 presidential election, this inability for Republicans to admit that Donald Trump lost that election. And number two was abortion rights, where voters overwhelmingly prefer abortion to be legal and available to women. And those two issues really contributed to a red wave being nothing more than a red ripple, so to speak. And so when you look at it that way, those two issues are embodied by Mike Johnson. He is as extreme as any Republican in Congress is on abortion rights. And he was, as the New York Times called him, the architect of Donald Trump's attempt to steal an election. I think every single Republican who voted for Mike Johnson, including the Mike Lawlers and the Don Bacons and the 14 Republicans who sit in districts won by Joe Biden, they're going to be tied to Mike Johnson very, very tightly. Expect to see ads in every single seat and expect to see some of Mike Johnson's other commentary that he's made throughout the years back when he was in the state legislature in Louisiana. Expect to see all of that come forward and that guys like Mike Lawler, in order to end the pain, they voted for a guy who may cause them so much more pain.
0: They used the line that kids in high school use. That's a later problem. They got rid of the problem today, we don't have a speaker, and instead took on Mike Johnson, who very well could be a later problem. You know, as you're talking about those two issues, democracy and abortion, I went over to uh, my notes file and it was just a few weeks ago that you and I agreed, and we're not alone in this framing of things, I, I think a lot of people think this, but that you and I agreed that as of then, we thought that the 24 election was going to be the economy and the border versus democracy and abortion you know, as you just said, Mike Johnson becomes just another poster child. Are you for democracy or against democracy? Are you for the right to abortion or are you against the right to abortion? As I was looking at the note and thinking about it and thinking about, is that going to be still the two issues? And I, I don't want to, we don't have to go off point here, but obviously there is now absolutely a major additional issue. We can call it foreign policy But the framing is feeling like it's settling in and that things are trying to, as awkward as it is because they don't fit neatly, things are trying to be shoehorned into that. But if that is the framing, Mike Johnson becomes an example for Democrats on the, are you for or against democracy and are you for or against abortion?
1: Those are the two specific issues, but then as the Biden campaign has been trying to do, there's a broader theme here, and that theme is MAGA extremism. And Mike Johnson is also a really good, beyond just these two specific issues, at kind of pushing how far the Republicans are willing to go. For instance, we have a listener from Louisiana who has paid very close attention to some of the battles between the Christian right and what they're trying to influence in Louisiana schools, for instance, and what they're able to teach. And He emailed me today saying that, you know, Mike Johnson is a creationist and that some reporter should literally ask him, how long do you think the world has existed? (laughs) How long do you think Earth has been here? To see his answer like that, because he takes the Bible quite literally. I know that there are probably a few people in Congress who believe similarly, but we've never had anyone like that in a position of power where he's second in line to the presidency you know, after Kamala Harris. So it's pretty extraordinary that Republicans elevated a person like this really out of desperation because they couldn't find anybody else without really taking the time to look into his background and to see what was there. Because you'll recall this week, Chris, that Tom Emmer... When he was floated and it looked like Tom Emmer, maybe he could possibly be the one. All of a sudden, Donald Trump and his allies started passing around a 200-page opposition research file on Tom Emmer. It was pretty harsh and they were going after him really hard. Well, no one had the time to put together that opposition research file for Mike Johnson. And what we're seeing just in the several hours since he became the new speaker is there's quite a bit out there. And the fact that he's not known means that Democrats are going to get the opportunity to frame him, who he is, and to make him into the candidate that is terrifying to most Americans.
0: This also aligns with another theme that we've been talking about, the have you seen enough theme. Does the Republican Party still exist, at least the one that we grew up with? And I saw interesting analysis, a point being made, which was, as you mentioned before, Mike Johnson was elected in 2016. He rode in with Trump. He has not known anything, this analysis said, and I thought it was a great line. He's not known anything except a Trump government, and he's never worked in the government that has not been in Trump or post-Trump. He wasn't part of the time before, and as much as even Kevin McCarthy tried to tie himself to Trump, Mike Johnson became a super Trump supporter all the way up to an election denier. So now you've got Trump leading the Republican race for president. You have a Trump speaker in the House. You have three Trump justices that have basically taken over the Supreme Court and to some extent moved John Roberts aside. I've seen rumors that Mitch McConnell is still Senate minority leader, and he came out this week and said that uh, he's perfectly healthy and everything's okay. But the takeover is nearly complete. I mean, let's just say that Mitch McConnell is not part of the Trump Republican arm. We could have a full debate about that, obviously. We all remember how McConnell voted in the impeachments. So let's just stipulate that just about every other branch is, just about every other part of government is. The takeover is very nearly complete.
1: You're not the first one to use the phrase, like, this election is for all the marbles. This is really for everything, because if the Trump side wins, if Trump wins the presidency, or let's say he doesn't win the presidency, but Republicans maintain control of the House. Speaker Mike Johnson wasn't going to certify the last election. He still believes in the Dominion voting machine conspiracy and that there was software on those machines that caused the election to go to Joe Biden. Mike Johnson would be in a position in which he would have to weigh in on the counting of these electoral votes and might just decide that Donald Trump actually won, even if he didn't. That's where we really are. If somehow Republicans are able to maintain control of the House, January 3rd, 2025, when they would take office, this election really is, unlike all those other elections, which were the most important ones in your lifetime, this one really is.
0: Mike Johnson smartly, in my opinion, ended his short speech outside of the Capitol steps this afternoon and said, okay, we're not going to have all the usual pomp and circumstance around the electing of a speaker. We're not going to have ceremonies. We're not going to do that. We're going back in right now into the chamber and we're going to get to work. Okay. That's pretty smart messaging. I think particularly after you just took a 22-day vacation and couldn't do anything and held up all of America's business, I think it's probably a pretty smart idea to say you're going to go get back to work. I found myself wondering, literally, what are they going to work on? One, obviously, pending potential shutdown. Second, I assume, I don't know if, is there actually legislation that has come down around the funding for Ukraine and Israel? And I think there was a third element that was going to be added to Biden's proposal. I don't know if that's actually technically legislation.
1: It is. It's being considered in the Senate right now.
0: Okay. So there's got to be 25 other major issues that I'm just not thinking of right now. But exactly what work do they hope to get done?
1: Well, you know, this is the interesting question, and I think you know, you and I wrote years ago a book about governing and about how difficult governing was when you come into office and you come into a position involves of of a sudden new power. And while Mike Johnson is not new to Congress, he is certainly new to being speaker. And there is a major learning curve, or as Brendan Buck, who was a top aide to John Boehner and Paul Ryan said, it's a terrifying learning curve what you have to do to become speaker of the House. And this is by a top aide to two former speakers who wrote this piece for Politico. He talks about how hard it is to transition into that role and how much you have to learn about how the House of Representatives really operates. There's a leadership vacuum, which potentially will develop here because Mike Johnson will be too new to the job. And you want to know who might take advantage Mm -hmm. of that vacuum? Steve Scalise, who is the majority leader. Steve Scalise might end up being the most powerful House majority leader since Tom DeLay, who also took advantage of a similar vacuum in order to get his way. And so we know that when Scalise was serving under Speaker Kevin McCarthy, he was pretty much pushed into the corner. He was kept out of the inner circle he wasn't privy to what Kevin McCarthy's agenda was and what he was trying to do. That may be different right now because Mike Johnson is in a situation where he really doesn't know what he's doing. One of the big jobs of Speaker, in addition to trying to move legislation, of course, is to look ahead to the next elections and be a fundraiser. Well, Kevin McCarthy last quarter raised little over $15 million running around the country. He's a famously prolific fundraiser, really very good at it and was able to you know, pull millions from every trip that he would make around the country. Over the last quarter, Mike Johnson raised about half a million dollars. So there's really no comparison right now. There's another thing he needs to do, is he needs to learn how to negotiate with the US Senate. Well, Mitch McConnell barely knows him, and Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, has never even met him. <laughs> you know, He's gotta work with the President of the United States. I'm told that they've never spoken before. All of a sudden, Mike Johnson is the Speaker of the House. So the learning curve that he has to get to this position is just enormous, or as Brendan Buck said, terrifying. And so I don't think that despite his talk on the Capitol steps, I don't suspect that we're going to see things happen in rapid succession
0: here. No doubt, Mike Johnson has to flip the switch and get into a new role and figure it out fast. Speaking of flipping, prosecutors have discussed (laughs) plea deals with six more, CNN reports. Fulton County prosecutors have discussed potential plea deals with at least six additional co-defendants charged alongside Donald Trump for attempting to subvert the 2020 presidential election. The strategy by District Attorney Fonnie Willis' office is clear. Get as many co-defendants as possible to flip on the former president, leaving Trump and perhaps a few close allies on the hot seat. The seat's getting pretty hot, isn't it?
1: Well, I mean, what a week. I mean, we had guilty pleas from uh, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, Kenneth Cheesebro. And now we're talking about discussions going on with six more. And this is just in the Georgia case. And you don't even mention the news about Mark Meadows, who is supposedly cooperating with uh, special counsel Jack Smith in his investigation. You know, we always wondered, why was Mark Meadows charged as a co-defendant in the Georgia case? But in the federal case, he's not even mentioned anywhere. Well, it's because he's been cooperating with the special counsel, apparently. And the vice around Donald Trump is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. and We're only talking about a couple of the cases here that he's facing. So expect to see quite a few rants on Truth Social this week.
0: And politically, does it matter?
1: I personally think all of this stuff matters. and I understand how people get weary of just the endless news and the lack of accountability to Donald Trump. My view on all of this stuff is that maybe he's only losing a handful of voters with every one of these news stories that happens, but he's not gaining any voters in my view. Every single one of these stories can't be part of the conspiracy that Trump talks about, the weaponization of government. At some point, right-minded people think about this and they realize that cases across four different jurisdictions, then there's the civil fraud trial, then there's the sexual assault guilty pleas that he's already dealt with. To be a conspiracy, that would be remarkable. So, right thinking people are going to realize Donald Trump has got real problems here, and these are real legal problems, and his behavior is increasingly irrational. Just before we started recording, we got a news flash that Donald Trump stormed out of the courtroom in New York where he was attending to see Michael Cohen's testimony against him in the civil fraud trial. It was so startling that his lawyers didn't know he was going to do it, and the Secret Service didn't know he was going to do it, and they raced after him out of the room. And as a few political wire readers commented, it's hard to imagine Donald Trump racing out of the room. They were suggesting maybe he waddled out of the room, but we don't have video, so we'll have to just believe the reporters. Actually, I did see video.
0: I, I did see video of it. Yeah, I was characterized as stormed out. Well, I saw video once he's out because that's where the cameras are. They're outside of the courtroom. And he was walking. I don't know what he did inside the courtroom. He walked up to a metal barrier and said that this case is over. I've won. The judge should stop this case right now. But to your point about the extent to which people care, and I, I don't disagree, but there's no evidence yet that Republican primary voters care. And there's no evidence yet that once Donald Trump takes leadership positions within the Republican party, there's no evidence yet that Republicans don't go along with it. So going back again to democracy and abortion versus the economy and the border That's why I'm asking, to what extent does this matter? Because, yeah, no, he's not gaining any votes from independents. I'm Democrat, certainly. But once he has that nomination, I guess that the challenge is that these cases are just really all about the framing.
1: Keep in mind. So, okay, yes, we don't have any evidence that he's losing his grip on Republican primary voters. But the only evidence of that is that there are polls and polls are not the same as actually votes. And so let's see what happens when the primaries start. We do have some evidence, though, that his influence in the House Republican caucus wasn't so great. He endorsed Jim Jordan for Speaker. Couldn't make that happen. He did come out against Tom Emmer, but truthfully, he came out against Tom Emmer after the votes were already on the wall. He knew he was going to lose, that he was never going to pull back these 20-plus Republicans who had opposed him. And with Mike Johnson, he was pretty much a non-factor in that election. That was something, as we discussed, it was really just Republicans kind of coming together in order to end the pain as best they could. There's an indication that he's losing a bit of his clout there. But I think the biggest indication that Trump might be losing ground here is his demeanor seems increasingly erratic. I know he says that Joe Biden is the one who's got dementia, who doesn't think straight and isn't very sharp. But you listen to Donald Trump. First of all, he makes all sorts of mistakes. He refers to the president of Turkey as being from Hungary. He makes consistent factual mistakes like that. Also, his rants on truth social are increasingly unhinged. And I know that doesn't sound like much because he's been unhinged on these social media platforms for years. But the way that I read them is, and the timing of them is that they come at these moments where you could tell he's really feeling the heat. And whether it's with a co-defendant flipping on him, whether it's some other piece of news that gets under his skin, he seems to increasingly lash out. And he's now done so despite the fact that in the New York civil fraud trial, he's been under a gag order. He's now violated that gag order twice, been fined twice. So much so that the judge actually brought him on the witness stand where he had to swear under oath his testimony and somehow forgot that the remarks that he made that caused him to violate the gag order were actually on video. So the judge saw exactly what he said. And Donald Trump tried to insist that they weren't about the clerk sitting to his side. That was the violation of the gag order. Anyway, the whole thing all of it just seems a little bit extra crazy to me. So I'm not willing to say that this stuff doesn't matter. I do think that this is going to be a huge election, the most important one that we could ever imagine. And one of the candidates I think is losing his grip and it's not
0: Joe Biden. My last question, Mike Johnson or the head of lettuce?
1: Uh, Well, we know that uh, the head of lettuce uh, outlasted Steve Scalise. In this case, I actually think Mike Johnson will be around for a while, but it does not mean that he's going to be effective. So we have a situation now where what has not changed is that Republican caucus is still as divided as ever. And he might get a honeymoon period here and he might be able, if he's smart, he might be able to get some of these tough bills through. For instance, by putting on a foreign aid bill on the floor that includes both aid to Israel and aid to Ukraine, he might be able to just get the bipartisan vote that he needs to get that off his desk so that he doesn't have to deal with that anymore. He might be able to push off a government shutdown into early next year. But anything of any more substance of that is going to face the same divisions in the caucus that we've been witnessing up close for the last
0: 22 days. I mean, the Republicans, do they support Ukraine aid? I don't see how he does that, at so least.
1: He will figure out a way to put it on the floor for a vote. And it won't be one that the majority of Republicans support, but a lot of Republicans do support that bill. It's just that there's a vocal side of the party that doesn't support the bill. We'll be interesting to see if he uses some of his political capital in this honeymoon period to... To get that bill off his desk or not. Or he could become an ideologue about it. He's been critical of Ukraine aid. He may just decide to draw a line right there and not move the bill. If he does that, we are in for some fireworks, Chris.
0: Yeah. Betting in the direction of bipartisanship has been a losing bet for several years now. So we'll see on that. Um actually just thought of one other thing. I don't know the answer. Did they get rid of the one vote to vacate?
1: No, nope, that's still that's still in the that's rules. It's still
0: there. Okay. So all they it have, takes they is they have one. not
1: changed the House rules. So, you know, he's still under the threat of being ousted at any time. Although I don't think it'll be Republicans who try to oust him at this point.
0: Yeah. Well, probably not Max. Gates. He used up his opportunity. Okay. I'm with you as well. I take Mike Johnson over the head of lettuce. So salad for everyone.
1: Salad for everyone. Talk to you later, Chris.
0: Bye, Tegan.